Our scripture reading this morning comes from Luke chapter 15, verses 1 through 10. Please listen for the word from God. Now all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to, to listen to Jesus. And the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, this fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable. Which of you, having a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the 99 in the wilderness and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my lost sheep. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who have no need for repentance. Or what about uh, that woman having 10 silver coins? If she loses one of them, does not, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and search carefully until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors saying, rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy in the presence of the angels of God over one sinner who repents. This is the word of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Holy God, thank you for your word. I pray that you would open our ears and our eyes and our hearts and our minds to the word you have for us today. In Jesus' name, amen. Lost and found. We all know what it is like to be lost, maybe physically, maybe mentally, emotionally, even spiritually. We've all had seasons of being lost. When I was uh, 19 years old, I moved from Denver, Colorado to Seattle, Washington to start a new job in education. And I remember driving my uh, 1992 Geostorm out across the mountains to Seattle, loaded with all of my stuff. And in the middle of the drive, I remember thinking, what am I doing? I don't know how to find an apartment. I don't know how to make friends. I'm leaving all of my family and the people that I'm close to to start a brand new kind of job. I am lost. And then when I arrived in Seattle, the very first night, I got physically lost. I had gone to the store to get a couple of essentials and was trying to get back to the place where I was staying temporarily. And I'm driving down this road and the car in front of me hits a dog. 
It's totally traumatic, and they started diverting traffic. Now, the dog turned out to be okay, good news, so you can stop worrying about that. But they diverted the rest of us off the side of the road while they were caring for the dog and sent me down this side street. Then I couldn't find my way back to where I was. Now, if you can believe it, this was the dark ages when I didn't have an iPhone and I did not have any kind of GPS in my car or anything like that. So all I had was one of those full pull-out maps of the city of Seattle. And I'm pretty good at reading maps, but I, this was literally my first night in the city and I didn't even know which quadrant I was in. I didn't know where to begin and I was on these teeny tiny side streets, Seattle streets do all of this. And so I couldn't even find the street names on my map and I pulled over my car and I just wept. I had felt mentally and emotionally lost and I was physically lost and did not know where to go. We have all had experiences like this. Some for very short moments, some for long, long seasons. You might be in a season where you feel lost right now. I hope that we also know what it's like to be found. I was found that day in Seattle and was able to get help from someone who me back to a road that I recognized. And you know what's so interesting, when people describe their experiences of feeling lost, they use a common word. If you talk to someone about what it's like to be lost, often you will hear the word alone. Even people who are lost in places like Disney World or New York City and are surrounded by people, when they say they are lost, they feel alone. And then when they are found, as you might expect, they describe it as some kind of connection. Some human experience where they suddenly are seen and get help. The two short parables that Chris just read for us from Luke's Gospel describe things that are lost and then are found, a sheep and a coin. And often we look at the parables of Jesus as these beautiful standalone stories, but the reason that Jesus is telling these two parables is actually even more important than the parables themselves. And we get all this information from the first two lines of our text. It says that the tax collectors and the sinners were spending time with Jesus and the religious folks were upset by it. So they talked amongst themselves and said, this guy is not only just nice to these sinners, but he's welcoming them, he's inviting them and hosting them to do one of the most intimate things that you can with someone, to share a meal. They're grumbling, they don't like it, they're upset. This group of sinners that they are identifying with Jesus includes tax collectors, which we talk about fairly often, who would have been looked down upon because they've sort of sold themselves out to the empire and become workers for the Roman government and were rumored to have always cheated and skimmed from the top for their own greed. But then also there's this group of ambiguous sinners which could have included a whole wide variety of people, people that maybe broke moral laws, but also people who were just not quite as up on the ritual purity as others. 
these other sinners might have even included groups like women whose husbands had divorced them. Folks that were not seen as fully pure in the religious realm. So the religious folks are seeing this company that Jesus keeps and they are upset. They're grumbling. And it is in response to that grumbling that Jesus tells these two stories of lost and found. Now, when we read Bible stories, we all identify with different characters at different points in our lives. But today, I want to challenge us all to hear these parables with the ears of the religious folks. And I want us to do that for a couple of reasons. First, we often rush way too quickly to vilify the Pharisees and the scribes whenever we read their names in the New Testament. We see the names and we know, oh, those are supposed to be the bad guys. And at best, I think this attitude is just sort of a shallow caricature of names that we have learned in the Bible. But at worst, this attitude has led to some really harmful anti-Semitism. So I, need, I think we need to sort of expand our curiosity and our empathy and sit with the perspective of these religious folks. Also, I think it's a helpful perspective for us because, quite honestly, we probably have the most in common with the religious people in this story than with anyone else. We like to imagine that we're more like the disciples who are listening along or even like the people in the stories themselves, but really, as the church, we are the religious folks. This is a story that Jesus tells to us, too. So thinking with that perspective, we hear the grumbling, and I want to start by saying, you know, I think those religious folks have a point. They're upset with the people who Jesus is interacting with, and I don't think they're totally off base. We all know that it is so important to surround ourselves with people who will build us up. Parents all know that fear of their kids making friends with the wrong group, right? We want to be around people that make us better versions of ourselves, that draw us closer to the God that we love and not further away. We also all know how dangerous even a single toxic personality can be. It can disrupt an entire workplace or an entire church Certainly not here at Fort Street, but other places I've heard. We want to keep that toxicity out. Even the Bible encourages us to keep company of those who will help us draw close to God and to keep away those who will only pull us down. So these religious folks, the church saw the sinners that Jesus was keeping company with and they felt that it threatened the community of faith. People whose behaviors and circumstances had the potential to drag others down and away from God were supposed to be left out. The religious folks wanted to put up a gate so that the faithful community would be protected. They'd worked so hard to build up this community of faith. They wanted to keep the toxic people out. 
The problem, of course, is that in building these gates, building these walls, we often end up excluding for the wrong reasons. And that's very much part of human nature. As soon as we begin to feel included in a community, we become exclusive. As soon as we're let into the circle, we want to close it off. As one theologian said, we want mercy for ourselves and justice for others. As soon as we have been found, we forget what it was like to be lost. I call this myself the uh, sophomore syndrome. So I worked in schools for several years before going into ministry, and I noticed particularly with high school students that, you know, there, there would be some hazing for freshmen as they came in and were new to the school. And going in, I would have thought it would have been the seniors that would have been the ones that gave the freshmen the hardest time. They were at the top of the food chain. They were the most superior. They were the ones giving the freshmen the hard time, right? No, it was always the sophomores the ones who were just barely a step above being a freshman themselves, the ones who just had gotten the target off their own back and thought, ha now I deserve to be the one picking on the other kids. So they'd sort of puff up their chests and think things like, well, if we had to suffer these, freshmen do too. I always noticed in the halls of high schools that it was the sophomores being the most aggressive and mean to the freshmen. We forget what it's like to be lost as soon as we're found. We all have gates that we put up in different places. Who should be allowed to live in America? Who should be allowed to play in the nice parks in the most expensive neighborhoods in town? Who should get good health care? Who should be allowed to sleep in the church overnight? Who should be allowed to call themselves a Christian? Churches are good at putting up gates, both visible and invisible. We, as religious people, are often good at putting up gates. The religious people in this story for today may have had very good intentions when they started constructing their gates. But now, instead of the gates serving them, they've become servants to the gate. Their vocation has changed to become gatekeepers rather than focusing on what it was that they wanted to protect in the first place, their relationship with God. They've been gatekeeping for the wrong reasons. So Jesus tells them, Jesus tells us, there was once a shepherd who had a hundred sheep, and when one went missing, he left the 99 and went and searched until he found it. There was no giving up. Failure was not an option. He searched until he found it and then brought it back rejoicing. In fact, he was so full of joy that he couldn't keep it to himself, and so he invited friends and family to celebrate the found sheep. Or a woman 
who had 10 silver coins, not a huge fortune, but about a day's wage per coin. And when she loses one of them, she lights the lamps, sweeps the house, and searches everywhere until she finds it. Failure is not an option. She will search and search until it is found. And then when she does find it, she has so much joy that she cannot keep it to herself. And she invites her friends and her family to celebrate. The joy of being found requires celebration. Found is associated with connection. What better reason for a party than that? One of the things that I first loved so much about Garrett when we met in seminary was his desire to celebrate others. For birthdays or special occasions or accomplishments that friends had, he would be the first to suggest celebration. When I had a piece of curriculum published, he called together all of my friends, even friends that he didn't know very well, and said, let's get together and celebrate this accomplishment. In fact, Garrett is already planning and has recruited some of you to help plan Fort Street's 175th anniversary celebration. But guess what? That's not for two years still. That's how far ahead he's thinking of celebrating and planning for it. And I love that. You know, sheep and a coin themselves cannot repent. These parables are not primarily a message for the lost. They're not a message about repentance as much as they are a message for the religious folks about celebrating to rejoice alongside God when we see evidence of God's mercy and welcoming embrace. To celebrate as tax collectors and sinners come close to Jesus and join in a meal. We should want to celebrate because we all know what it's like to be lost and then to be found. Churches are good at putting up gates, but what if they were better at throwing parties? You know, there's one very interesting and sometimes disturbing element of that story of the lost sheep. Many people have discussed it at length, and I wonder if you noticed it. When the shepherd goes searching for the one lost sheep, it says he left the 99 in the wilderness not locked in a pen, not secured behind a gate, but in the wilderness. And the wilderness is often the Bible's way of describing land that is dangerous. The 99 might very well have been at risk while the shepherd was away searching for the one. That's how much the one who is lost matters. Not that the 99 don't. But we have to remember that throughout his whole ministry, Jesus has overemphasized the ones who are on the outside, the ones who are on the margin, the ones who are lost in order to make a point. It's as, e it's as if Jesus is showing us sometimes even gates constructed for protection can end up doing more harm than good. It's wise to have boundaries. It's good to want to surround ourselves with people who will build us up. But if we have gates 
We need to make sure that they are serving the kingdom of God. And we need to make sure that we have not become servants to the gates. Today, I think we are doing a pretty good job at Fort Street of celebrating. In a few minutes, we will celebrate communion. We will share in that feast, that intimate act of breaking bread together and joining with Christ and with one another. And then after the service, we're throwing a kickoff party, a welcome back and enjoy the company of one another. And we are keeping our doors open. You know, we had hoped to be able to do this in the parking lot across the street and rain had other plans and we didn't want to make it too risky out there. But we very intentionally wanted the gates to be open, the doors to be open, people to be able to come by and come in. They still will do that. We'll be in the Great Hall with all the same fun things and inviting anyone in. But we're doing a pretty good job of celebrating today. I hope that Fort Street can be known for our parties rather than our gates. We all know what it's like to be lost, and we remember the good news that God takes initiative to find us, assuring us that we're not alone. So let's remember when we are lost that we will be found, and once we are found, let us extend that invitation to others. Will you join in the celebration? Let's pray. Holy God, thank you for the connection we feel when we are found. Help us not to close off as soon as we are in that circle, but instead to reach back out over gates and to welcome others. Lord, bless our celebrations of communion, of kickoff, of just being together. It is enough. We pray in the name of Christ. Amen.